Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. God praise just for this last month and what God did in our church. We love you. Nos te amamos. We can give you some Portuguese. We love you. Yeah, there we go, John. We, uh, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, man, just, just such an honor and privilege to come together. Everything that we ever need, he already has. I don't know about you, but for me, as I was just worshiping, that truth just like, I mean, it just, it's exploded in my heart. Everything that we ever need. He already has. He said in 1 Peter that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. We are partakers of the very divine nature of God. If you're just grateful to be a part of Christ church and be an ambassador in a time like no other time, I think we just ought to put our hands together and just give the Lord a shout, man. Come on, let's just celebrate Jesus Christ. Can we do that? Come on, church. Come on, just say hallelujah. We celebrate you, man. This is... This is uh, an awesome, awesome time to be alive, and uh, I, I've just been so blessed this last month as God has spoken, not just to our church corporately, but also to my life individually, and uh, we're jumping into a new series today. If you didn't receive a message card on your way in, you can raise your hand, and uh, one of our ushers will help you out, but this is a card that just helps you to follow along, and uh, also if you are uh, media savvy, you can also go on the YouVersion app, and the message and scriptures are there as well. But we're jumping into a series called DP Strategy. Would you say that with me? Say DP Strategy. Now, what in the world is the DP Strategy? Well, I want to go just for a few moments and look at the grand scope of our church, starting with our vision. Our vision is a picture of a preferred future. We, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, 18, that where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision for the future, people cast off restraint, okay? And when we talk about vision inside of a church, we're talking about a preferred picture that this is the mandate God has put on our house. This is the assignment, and that is to manifest Christ in many ways to many people. That on the downstream of what Dwelling Place Church is about is that on a daily basis, not just in a weekend gathering, but on a daily basis, the, the people, the church, the church of Jesus Christ is manifesting Christ in many ways to many people. Now, how does that become accomplished. Well, that's our mission, right? This is the action. This is what we're involved in on a daily basis. And that's to gather. Everybody say gather. We're gathering people to Christ, not gathering to Scripture, not gathering to the church, not gathering to, to people. We're gathering to Jesus. Jesus alone has the ability to change lives. Amen? The first thing that Andrew did in John chapter 1 when he followed Jesus is he went and got his older brother Simon Peter and he brought him to Jesus. Didn't bring him to the temple, didn't bring him to the synagogue, didn't bring him to Moses, didn't bring him to the Old Testament. He brought him to Jesus. That's namely the greatest privilege on planet earth is for us to bring people to Jesus. We exist to gather people to Jesus Christ. Why? Then we're going to lead them to biblical maturity. Right? Because this is the downstream Biblical maturity. The arbiter, the, the arbiter of truth is not what the other churches do. And the arbiter of truth is what does God's word say about maturity? If we're going to be mature or immature, we have to measure that against the standard of God found in God's word. It's the only standard. It's the only tool to use. Why? Not just so that we can be mature believers. Because mature believers 
reproduce by very nature. Why? So that we can multiply and we can see the multiplication of believers right here. We can see the multiplication of leaders, influencers, and churches for the kingdom of God. That is our mission statement. That is what God has called us to do. But inside of that mission, we have a strategy. We call this the DP strategy. And I'm so excited about this series over the next four weeks that we're going to share with you. You'll see this. It's also at the top of your car. Uh, maybe it's not. You'll see here the, 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 the four G's that we call them. The gatherings, which you're in today. The growing, which the primary means is our growth phases that happens on Thursday. Pastor Chad talked about the giving gifting teams that are also served you as you came in this morning, but also serve during the week, and we hope multiply, and then grouping, which is primarily met inside of our connect groups. But this is the DP strategy. And you say, why are you preaching on the DP strategy? Well, the reason is simple. You ready? You were created by God to have a heart for God's house. Did you know that? Jesus said in the Gospels that a passion or zeal for thine house, Father, hath consumed me. You were created by God to have a passion for the house of God. But listen, it's really hard to have a heart for God's house if you don't know what the heart of the house is. How could you have a heart for God's house if you don't know what the heart of God's house even demonstrates? And I believe many of you, because, you know, a year since relaunch now, a couple of weeks beyond that, People I hear on a weekly basis say, I know that God has called us here. I, I just love what God's doing here. Well, listen to me very frankly. I don't want you to just feel called here. I want you to know why God has you here. Does that make sense? It's not about just knowing I'm called. It's knowing the distinctives of what we are as a church. Why did God bring you here? Why has God asked you to be a part of what God's doing here and dwelling place. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through this four-week series over the next four weeks. We're going to walk through the distinctives of our church. And listen, our heart behind some things. I want to share with you our heart behind why we do what we do. Because many of you, you've attended other churches. Many of you have known Christ for years. You've attended other places. You've been deeply involved in other places. And so this is not an us versus them battle. Please understand this. If you, if you get that incentive today or that understanding or motivation, you've missed me altogether. Okay, It's not an us versus them. It's not a one church against another church. I want you to know the church that God is calling you to. So the weekend, this message, this title is called Gatherings. Gatherings. And I want to clearly communicate to you what is our absolute goal for gathering every Sunday. Why in the world do we do what we do on Sundays? Before I jump in, uh, I just say, I heard so much last week, great message last week. I heard a lot of feedback over the series, Too Love to Be Lost. And uh, I just want to throw this out here as a disclaimer because I always get, I always get, man, I love those kind of messages. And then what inevitably happens is we go and we start sharing vision messages. And people, what I've learned in church, are not nearly as excited about vision messages as they are about love and about them messages. But let me just tell you why. You need to be more excited about this message than any message we just preached because vision steers the house. And if you are gonna live in this house, the vision affects you. It affects who you become in Christ. It affects what God does in your life. It affects where and what God calls you to. It does. It affects the house. Vision steers the course. And I believe today that God is gonna speak to you about something like he does every weekend. So if you're Taking notes, you'll see there on the card in front of you, I'm going to give you a statement, and all three points of the message are in one sentence. How you like that? All three points right here in one sentence. You ready? Here is 
the goal. Our goal for our weekend gatherings. Ready? To eat his food together at his table in his presence. I'll say that again. To eat his food together at his table in his presence. You notice. To eat. You notice. Together at his table. You notice. In his presence. God has called us here to worship in his presence. Let me talk about the first one. To eat his food. To eat his food. Some of you are saying, well, Craig, I... The only food I've ever had in church before is a tiny little cracker and some grape juice, and that ain't a meal, you know what I'm saying? Or, or maybe some of you are saying, well, maybe the only other food I've had is potluck meals, and, and, uh, and churches inevitably are the worst in the history of the world at potluck dinners, right? Some of the worst potlucks you've ever eaten in your life have come from church gatherings. And, and, and you think, well, that was bad. Well, I'm not talking about physical food. I'm talking about spiritual food. Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Notice what he said. Like newborn babies, you must crave. Notice that. It's a hunger. It's a desire. He said, craving pure spiritual milk. Why? So that you will grow. He wants you to crave that growth would be a necessary response or a byproduct into a full experience of salvation. The craving of spiritual milk is used in order that you would become one who has the full experience of salvation. Notice, cry out for this nourishment. Cry out. This is what Peter says. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Notice that. Cry out for this thing. Hebrews chapter 5, look what the writer of Hebrews, how he States this. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food, right? He said anyone who lives on milk being still an infant, if you're in growth phases, you know that's the first stage of, of spiritual growth, becoming a babe in Christ, an infant in Christ. He says is not acquainted with the lesson seven of foundation phase, the teaching of the word of righteousness. You're not acquainted with the word of righteousness, okay? But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, notice what mature people do. They have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What is Peter talking about? What is writer of Hebrews talking about? He's talking about spiritual food. And listen to me, one of the goals of the weekend message, and one of our goals, one of my goals personally, listen to me closely. This is not a talk, by the way, okay? And maybe some of you have been churches, or you've heard but people say, well, this weekend's talk. Well, this is not a talk, and I'm not a speaker. Those are speakers, I'm a preacher, okay? This is not a talk. This is indeed a message, all right? And we need to get something really, really clear, because I know that's really big in a 21st century world. You this is, this is a talk this weekend, no? I view the weekend sermon as a message. I don't know about you, but my life has never been changed by a talk, but my life has been changed by a message. I don't know about you, but my life has never really been revolutionized by someone talking to me, but it's been changed when God gives me a message, when he speaks to my heart. So this, indeed, as a weekend gathering, is a message. And it always works best when I, a Pastor Chad, we go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want us to share? So it's a message. It's what God wants to say. We talk over coffee 
and we're not having coffee. I, and this is a message, right? And I pray, listen to me sincerely, I pray every single weekend that this is the Lord's message every single week. So every time we open up God's word, listen to me, and we're gonna make a commitment to you, I promise you this, anytime you come together as a dwelling place and you come together in a gathering, you're going to have someone open the word of God and teach the word of God. We worship God in response to how God has revealed himself to us. This indeed is a message. It's a message. So every time we open up God's word, whether it's through a membership class or membership matters or, or a growth phases, we're not just talking about God's word. We're going deep into it. We're getting a word from the Lord. And just like the deepest diver is able to retrieve the greatest jewels, jewels we should say, the, the, the greatest truths of scripture are only yielded to the people who dive deep in God's word. So we have to mine. We have to mine the scripture. And one of my goals for the weekend message is this. I want to be able to serve smoothies and shakes all the way to, to seafood and steaks. Now I know that's cheesy, right? But you're going to remember it. I want to be able to serve everything from smoothies and shakes to seafood and steaks. And one of the goals, at least from my perspective as a pastor, is not just to preach to one type of person or one particular person in one spot in life. The goal of God's word, listen to me, is to speak to all of us no matter where we are in life. Because I can go to the Lord every week and say, God, I don't know where all these people are living right now. I don't know where all these people are in their walk with you. I don't know all of the people in this room right now, your background. I don't know all of their perspective, but you know everything, God. And you love them so much that you want to speak to them. So I ask the Lord, would you speak through me to them. So the message should speak all the way from unbelievers to bring to repentance and faith in Christ to the new believers who crave spiritual milk, who may not be able to really understand or hear a teaching on the book of Revelation yet, and that's okay, all the way to somebody who has got full molars in. In fact, they've already got some wisdom teeth extracted, and they're eating steak of God's word on a daily basis. It should serve all of them. Listen to me. God created the church to serve his spiritual food, and it's supposed to look like a buffet, not a snack. It's supposed to look like a buffet. God didn't ask me to, to feed you crackers spiritually. If you've been a part of this church for any time, you realize, you can probably say a good hearty amen to that. It's not, a, it's not an opportunity to feed crackers. God didn't ask me to feed you crackers spiritually. He challenged me weekly to feed you everything that's on his menu. Eat the whole lamb, to eat God's word. This is scriptural, by the way. This is a demand that God puts on under shepherds like myself, Pastor Chad. It's not something I get to make up. It's something that God commands. Acts 20, verse 28. Notice what the Bible says. Speaking to people in my position, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers or leaders. Notice that. We always think of pastors as shepherds. We think of them as under shepherds under the great shepherd's care, 1 Peter 5. We think of them shepherding God's people. But he doesn't just say shepherd God's flock. He said feed and shepherd God's flock. Feed and shepherd God's flock. Notice that. God never intended the church to be a place where we would serve spiritual rice cakes 
Now, nothing against spiritual rice cakes. My wife eats that stuff with peanut butter, Nutella, and all that kind of crazies. I, don't, I just don't eat them myself. Let's play this out a bit. A couple years back, I had a, about 20, 25 people. Some of you were part there in my house for a national championship game. Comes up in January, right? Thankfully, we're not on the fast at that time. It always falls right in the middle of a January fast, right? We're not on the fast at this time, and we had people over to the house. And, and uh, man, it was amazing. We had, I mean, a smorgasbord. I'm talking, I think we had uh, shrimp that night. We had hot dogs. We had hamburgers. We had, my wife made all kinds of different desserts, people all kinds of different type of dips. I mean, it's just amazing. Now, imagine if you were there at my house that night, and what would have happened if we invited 25 people over to our house, 30 people over to our house, and everybody gets their spot on the couch. Everybody's got their seat. They're ready. They're in front of the TV. It's national championship. We've just, you know, we've just watched the, the semifinals on New Year's Eve. You know, and now it's time to watch the big game. And, and everybody's got their spot. They're ready to watch. Or imagine, the, imagine even the Super Bowl, right? You're sitting there, and all of a sudden I say, okay, it's time for me to come in. We're ready to serve the meal. And you look to your left, and I come out of the kitchen, and I got a big tray full of rice cakes. Now, some of you love me enough, but you would leave immediately, and you go to Taco Bell, or you go to Chick-fil-A, and you go get some other food, and then you come back and watch me eat rice cakes. Why? Because in America, this is the way we feel it. When we watch the Super Bowl, when we watch the national championship, it's like Christmas. It's like Thanksgiving. We should be eating the best meal of the year. Listen to me closely. The church was created to be a place where you eat the best spiritual meal every week. You should never, ever settle for anything less. Every week, you you come in and you eat the best meal and the next week you eat the best meal and the next week you eat the best meal but listen listen to me let's take it a step further and so many people are okay with going to churches and eating rice cakes leaving with rice cakes every week we take it a step further although you should eat the best spiritual meal every single week it was never the church intended to be the only place and the only time you eat a spiritual meal all week. So let me say it this way. The weekend gathering, their message that God speaks in the weekend gathering should supplement our growth and not sustain our growth. It should supplement what we're hearing during the week. It should supplement what God is speaking to us, not sustain us. Not let's eat and not feed again for the next seven days. No, no, no. I don't want you, and by the way, let me just hear, don't, I don't want you walking away from the weekend gathering talking about how good the chef is. Because listen to me closely, Pastor Chad and Pastor Craig are not the chefs. We're simply waiters. That's all we are. Let me get, I'm, I'm going to follow this analogy all the way through, all right? All we are is waiters. There's a chef. His name is God. He wrote the book. He's the one who is cooking up the meal. He is the one desiring to speak. All we simply do are waiters. All we simply do is deliver what God wants to say. And so I want you walking away inspired to take the spiritual steak that we cooked up and go home and say, I know the perfect A1 sauce for this. It'll make a whole lot better than what they can give me on Sunday morning. I got some Worcestershire. And you get in the word of God and you start opening up the word of God yourself and God continues the conversation that happened here on Sunday morning. That you become a believer who hears from God on a daily basis. Open up your Bible and be inspired to hear God each day of your life. I think one of the problems with the church, and I say this, I don't want to say this like globally because I can't, I'm just speaking from our context, but at least from my experience, I'll say it that way, is we've turned 
eating spiritual rice cakes into a religious trophy. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean. And maybe, maybe if, if, if this is not your background, just, just follow me a minute. We go to church, and it's almost as if we think we're more spiritual, more like Christ if the message is bad and the church is dead. I mean, think about it. it happens every weekend. People go to church, and without even realizing it, they don't like the message, they don't like the worship, and we think that God, or we think to God that God, this proves to you how much I love you because I hate this, and I can't stand this. And I was around people all growing up. It's like they're in dead churches listening to the no clear messages, and they think that's a spiritual trophy, like eating a rice cake really means you love God because you can consistently keep going back and and you hate what you're going to no no most of the time it's why why do Christians who go to church hate doing it well they hate doing this because most of the time it's dead and it's not alive and listen to me that's not an indictment against the church or any other church there are 5.5 million people in Atlanta and until 5.5 million people love Jesus there's plenty of room for every church to continue to expand the, that's why you'll never hear us put down another church you'll never hear You'll never hear us knock another church. You're never. Why? Because there's room that we're on the same team. But listen, we may not want the same things. Did you hear what I just said? We are on the same team, but we may not want the same things. And we may not view what we would call a weekend gathering in the exact same way. Here's what I want when you come to church. I want you to meet with God. I don't want you to just hear from me. I want you to meet with God, not just hear from Pastor Chad. Look at John chapter 21. This is a powerful text. Jesus, after having reinstated Peter, this is the reinstatement of Peter, the three times of denial there, of course, uh, when he denied Jesus to the slave girl next to the fire, there at Caiaphas, the high priest of the Sanhedrin, the night of his betrayal. But now Jesus is coming back and, and he's restoring, he's reinstating the great apostle. And look at John chapter 21 and see how serious Jesus took feeding the sheep. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. He goes on a third time. The Bible says in verse 17, Jesus once more asked the question, do you have 17? No 17? A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Listen to me. As an under-shepherd, my love for God is intrinsically connected to how well I feed you. I prove my love for God by how I feed those who God's entrusted to me. It's true. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. That's what he says. Nowhere in the Bible, some pastors say, can I find a verse why God blesses some churches and not others? Why does God bless some churches to grow and not other churches to grow? Well, listen to me. Let me give you a statement. You ready? A church that always feeds will be a church that always grows. A church that always feeds will be a church that always 
grows. In the same way, when you feed your body some good food, some good nutrition, you put a little workout behind it, you will always see growth. A church that always grows or a church that always feeds is a church that will always grow. And listen, I was reading through the Psalms this week and I came across Psalm 107 and man, this Psalm come off the page to me. And I just started praying to the Lord, Lord, yes, make dwelling place that type of church. Psalm 107. I I never picked up on this before. Verse 35, verse 36 of Psalm 107. He says, but he also turns deserts into pools of water. He turns the dry land into springs of water. He brings the hungry from far lands to settle there and build their cities. And I said, God calls dwelling place to be a land where people who are hungry come and build their city. People who are hungry to receive the nourishment that comes from God's word come and build their cities. The hungry will be brought where? What? Where their, their bodies, their, their bodies, their stomachs can be full. They build their cities there. The hungry flock there. How can we reach our city, Craig? How can we reach Woodstock? You ready? I'll tell you part of the plan. It's that every week we make sure we feed the people who are building the kingdom of God with their hands. Because if you're out building the kingdom during the week and you come in on a weekend gathering and you are not fed, then we're not doing our job. It's part of the plan. We want you to be able to eat spiritual food every time you come here. And giving you the best opportunity to grow from this nourishment. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Paul speaking to Timothy said, All scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it. Notice that. Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us. It does not read Craig's opinion is inspired by God and useful to teach us. It does not say Pastor Chad's opinion is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and make us, Craig's illustrations make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Doesn't say that. Says all scripture. Listen, folks, I've tried that at home. I'm talking about my own natural home and it doesn't work. So why would it work in God's home? My my, my opinion don't even work in my own home a lot of times to teach what's right. How's my opinion gonna work inside of God's house? So this is a no-brainer, right? God used it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We should just be able to read that verse, close the Bible right now and walk out, right? Because we know scripture's inerrant. We know scripture has no error. We know scripture's infallible. We know that scripture's authoritative. We know that God spoke or breathed out the scripture. But listen, why can't we just read that and walk out? Here's why. Although we know this is God's word, there are a lot of us that aren't doing much with it. So when we make a commitment to you as a gathering to say we will teach God's word and we will teach God's word, not only are we going to open it. See, sometimes I think when we come into scripture, we open the Bible and we kind of see reading scripture as a religious exercise. No, we're not just saying on weekend gatherings, we're going to open it. We're saying we will teach it. And some of you are saying, well, Craig, isn't that redundant? Of course you're going to teach it. I wouldn't be a part of this church if you didn't teach it. Well, not so fast. People think, don't all churches teach scripture? Not so fast. Listen to Paul in the next chapter of this very book, 2 Timothy chapter 4. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. And they will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and they will chase after myths. Let me say it another way. I'm going to translate 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 through 4 into Craig's translation. You ready? The fastest way to grow a crowd is to tell them what they want to hear. The fastest way to grow the kingdom is to tell them what they need to hear. 
The fastest way to grow a group is to tell people what they want to hear. The fastest way to grow the kingdom is to tell them what they need to hear, what God wants to say to them. I've been told before, (laughs) I guess this is okay, I've been told before on many occasions, not just at dwelling place, but many places, I get done preaching a message, people come to me and say, Craig, your preaching is just a little bit bit direct at times, isn't it? A little bit straightforward. Read 2 Timothy 4 again. Notice. Notice what it says. They will reject the truth, trace after myths. They'll gather teachers who teach them what their itching ears want to hear. That means if you're teaching the truth, that's not a pat on the back, okay? You're not going to get patted on the back for teaching truth, but it's right. It's what God wants. And I've learned, and it's been so hard for this pastor. i got to just be vulnerable a minute. In fact, I've already begun to be vulnerable, so let's just get more and more vulnerable. Ready? As a pastor, it has bugged me and irked me for so many years of why people look for churches that teach them what they already want to hear. I, I, I can't over my dead body understand it. Looking for places that teach them what they want to hear. It's entirely possible when people say, well, Craig, I don't know about that, what you said. I'm just going to make a proposal. It's entirely possible. When you say, I don't really know about that, that really means truth hit my life, and I don't really want to admit that about myself. It's entirely possible to hear God's word authoritatively stated It happens to me all the time, right? We preachers, we do this for hobbies. We let people scream at us and yell at us and we get convicted, right? I love listening to people preach. I mean, this is like a natural hobby. It's God speaks to you, conviction comes, rubs you the wrong way, and you understand, you know what? If you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest is the one you hit. So when you preach truth and somebody yelps, it's probably because the rock hit them on the head. It's probably because they got hit with the truth of God's word, right? We understand, oh, something hit me, something rubbed me, something touched me. God spoke to me in my life. And here is the beauty, folks, listen to me. The beauty of teaching God's word is this. It causes everyone in the room to take an honest look at their God and an honest look at themselves and my opinions don't cause you to do that my stories don't cause you to do that God's word causes you to look at God and look at yourself nothing else has the power to do that but this book does God's word does and I think it's okay for us just to admit today sometimes it's a bit of a challenge to look at his word Look at our God and not realize and not, or, or deny that God is asking us to change. Where we come to the Lord and say, God, yes, you're asking me to change, and so I'm ready to change. We're changing the wrong thing, folks, right? We've been on this ploy for the last few years in church life to try to change the, the Bible. The Bible's not meant to change. It's meant to change us. We are the ones that need to be changing. We're the ones that need transformation. We're the ones that need realignment. And our goal for you in a weekend gathering is not to walk away talking about how great the message was, but to walk away and say the conversation that God began this morning is going to continue to happen this week. It's going to happen in my bedroom. It's going to happen on my drive home. It's going to happen in my prayer place. Why? An honest conversation. Here's what I've learned about love and truth. Can I just speak to you? Love and truth. Here, you ready? You can always tell how much someone loves you by how much of the truth they're willing to tell you. You can tell how much someone loves you by how much of the truth they're willing to tell you. And what scares me sometimes is when I pastor or counsel parents of a child, it's it's easy as a parent to look at a child, your own child, doing something wrong, 
and sometimes just say, oh, it's okay. You're, you're doing wrong. You're completely rebellious. You're out of a line, but it's okay. It's all right. But that's not helping a child. It's entirely okay for pastors, leaders to get up and say, this is not right. And at the risk of you being mad at me, I have to be truthful with you and tell you the truth. Because if I don't tell you the truth, I don't love you. Correct? How many of us have relationships in our life where people are not intimidated by our success? And they will tell you the truth instantly. Oh yeah, to be in love, but they'll tell you the truth. That's why God's word has to be the basis of our relationships. It can't be what Chad thinks about me when I'm out of alignment. He has to speak to me about we're committed to the same standard. To the standard. This is what God's word is meant to do. It's meant to chisel away, to cut parts of our life that don't belong. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 2, that verse right before we just read. He says, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Encourage them. Listen to me. I don't want you to come to church here. I want you to grow here. I want you to grow here. And the best way I know how to get you to grow is to fertilize the soul of your life with this scripture every time I get around you. <laughs> to fertilize your life with the soil of scripture. I don't know about you, ever since I've been in preaching classes at Lee University, I've been told, Craig, you need to use more humor. You need to use more jokes. Well, folks, I'm not even funny. And I can't even be funny when I try to be funny, right? I just, I, people say, you need to use, I don't want to use more jokes. You know what I want to do? I want to talk about this book. I do. I want to talk about this word. Why do I want to talk about this word? Because I don't know. Call it crazy. Every time I open this book, somebody's marriage gets stronger. Every time I open this book, somebody's kid grows more whole. Every time I open this book, a sinner comes back to righteousness. Every time I open this book, a person that's wayward gets on the right track. I'm telling you, this word is living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit. It thoroughly equips the man of God, the woman of God for every work that God has called you to. My stories don't do that. My jokes don't do that. My illustrations don't do that. It's God's word that does that. Woo, may we always be a church that upholds the word of God with full premise. We hold to the premise and priority of God's word. God's word taught, God's word sung, God's word preached, God's word shared, God's word prayed. We hold to God's word. We hold to God's word. Look at the second part. See, his food... Together at his table. Together at his table. Hebrews 10, 24, I want to read it for you real quick. Look at what the scripture says. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting, notice this, together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now notice this for a minute. I don't know if you heard this or not. You heard some of this. Some of you, I'm sure, have. But there is a movement, and I, I want to say, I dare say a movement, a quote, unquote, this going on and going around, particularly in Western, I think, Christianity now. Books are being written about it. A lot of ex-pastors or former pastors are believing this. I was at a, a meeting this last week, two weeks ago, of, of Pastoral Covenant Group in Cherokee County, and I got one pastor off to the side, and they both started talking, and they both have bought into this and are communicating this. And here's what the message or the movement is. People say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to church on weekends. Jesus said, wherever two gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them, so we can just gather in my neighborhood. I need to attend church. We can just gather in my house. No need for a local congregation. 
we just gather together. I'm believing that God's kind of opening our eyes again to see the church is just, just house church of people that have no clear spiritual authority, direction, leadership. It's just two are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. Well, let me read you two passages of scripture that I think wholly refute that. The first one is what we just read. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Notice that. We need to encourage one another. But then the second one, I know you might be a little bit surprised, but look at Luke chapter four, verse 16. This is our Lord. Hearing this, uh, 4.16, Luke chapter four, verse 16. Jesus, Luke chapter four, verse 16. That's, that's the wrong verse. I'll turn to it in my Bible. Notice what Jesus says, or what the scripture says about Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Verse 16. Now Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus went into the synagogue as his custom, as usual, maybe your translation says. Listen to me, the easiest believer for the devil to attack is the believer who never sits down at the table. I mean, think about it. It's always easier to fight someone alone than fight someone in a pack, right? Yeah. Of course the enemy would say to you, whisper to you, you don't need to go to church. And he might be whispering to you right now, even in this room. Craig, you're just trying to get more people in the seats. If you think that's my motivation, you have pegged me for the wrong human being. It's not about our way or sway to try to get more people in the seats. Listen to what this, just think practically for a minute. If you're gonna fight, would you rather fight one person or 300 people? You'd fight one. Here's the question. Who is supposed to sit down at the table, right? To eat his food together at his table. Well, who is supposed to be at our weekend gathering? That's a great question to ask. Who should be here? Who should be at this table? Now, for me, I've always taught this as unbelievers should be there, new believers should be there, and mature believers should be there. I think the Lord gave me a little bit better insight, and I want to go a different direction, a different perspective. This is Luke 14, starting, uh, Luke 14, starting in verse 15, okay? Luke 14, starting in verse 15. Notice what the Scripture says. Jesus is sharing a parable. And the Bible says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, he said, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on and Jesus said with this story, a man prepared a great feast, a great table, and he sent out all kinds of invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent a servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet's ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Modern day version, I just bought a brand new driver and I want to see how it fares on Sunday morning at 1015 tea time. Modern day version, I just bought a new boat and I want to see how the boat goes because I only got a couple of weekends left in, in summer, right? This make excuses, right? The table's set. The banquet's ready. No, excuse me. Another said, I just, and this guy, I don't know if he's smart or dumb, right? I just got married, so I can't come, right? I mean, how more humorous can you get in a verse? I just got married. <laughs> you know, I got to go on a honeymoon, whatever the case is, right? I just got married. So notice what it said. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And the master was furious, and he said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And after the servant had done this, he came back and reported again, there's still room. 
And so his master said, go into all the country lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Let me give you three types of people that God desires to be in gatherings. And I want to make it relevant to you. You ready? Number one, people who are where you used to be. God wants people here today that are where you used to be. In other words, people who have 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 not yet come to the truth and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us, we've been saved so long, we forget what it's like to be without God. We forget what it's like to be without hope. May we be a church that refuses to forget what it feels like to be lost without hope, without Jesus Christ. People who are where you used to be. What we need to do sometimes is hit the pause button on life, step back and look and remember what was life was like before God stepped in. Come on, somebody. What life was like before Jesus came in and took control. And I promise you, you weren't falling asleep with tears of joy. It was painful. It was difficult. It was uphill. It was, it was empty. There was no life. There was no joy. And God desires people to be here every weekend who are where you used to be. But then the second one, people who are where you are. That's the second type of group. What is that? People like you. People in the same part of the journey like you. And then thirdly, people who are already where you're going to be. People who are already where you're going to be. These are the people God calls to sit at the table. And Jesus tells this story. He says, go get these people. And they say, oh, they, 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 uh, they, they made excuses. And he says, okay, well, go get the crippled, the blind, the lame. And they go do that, and, and they come back and, and get that group. And they says, there's still more room. So he says, all right, let's change the strategy. You ready? New weekend strategy, new weekend gathering strategy here at the church. Go find anyone you can find who wants to come. Pick up anybody on the street. Find anybody down the road. Find anybody who wants to come. The house is open. Can I just say Dwelling Place Church is a place for all people in every walk of life. A church for all people in every walk of life. And one of the worst places to live in life is when you get to a place where you come to church and you sit down in a seat and the whole world has to revolve around you. That's the first day of the loneliest seasons of your life. The music has to be what you want. Preaching has to be how you desire it. There's probably nothing worse in life than getting to a place in church where you sit in a seat and now you think everything that's been prepared has to revolve around you. What you desire, what your whims. It's a lonely place. Can I just speak to us? There are people, other people sitting at this table. And one of the reasons after worship, before the message, we have a meet and greet. We tell you to turn around and talk. You know why we set up welcome team? You know why we have that as a greet, giving gifting team to meet you out in the parking lot, to host you as you come into the building? You know why we do that? Is we just do that because it's kind of a cool idea. No, we do it. People say, well, I've been to other church. I think that's a little cheesy to meet and greet and talk. Let me tell you what we're doing. You ever went on a cruise before? When you go on a cruise, you don't know if you just, you and your wife, you and your husband, maybe you went with some friends, you get put at a table the first night at dinner. I mean, the dinner's at like 2.15 p.m. I mean, it's crazy, right? You've been on a cruise. I mean, dinner, they stack them all evening long. And you get there at dinner, and the first night is what we call awkward population eight because you're sitting there with your wife, and you're sitting at a table with you don't know anybody else. And the first night, it's like, man, you don't have enough tables in here? you know? And we went on our honeymoon, and we did that, and everybody's laughing at us. They're like, we know what you're doing. You know? <laughs> we know what your cruise is all about. But the first night, we're trying to figure out, like, hey, you know, we want to meet these other people, right? We want to engage other people. Well, listen to me. Listen to me. Very clearly, we want to sit at the dinner table and understand there's other people there. 
The reason we have you meet new people is because God called you both to be at the table. And it would be good for you to look up from your present circumstances and see who else is sitting at the table. To realize you're together at his table. We're not just eating his food alone. We're eating his food together with other people. Listen to me. Best thing I give you all day. We can never become a family as a church if what we do is come to church and do the spiritual equivalent of going into the kitchen, grabbing our plate, going upstairs in our bedroom and eating our meal. That's what podcast church generation is. You get your meal. It's disrespectful to the family. It's disrespectful to the people of God because you go to your room and you eat and you say, I don't need you. And so many people come into the church every weekend and it's not about connecting. It's not about lifting my eyes to see others are there. And they go into their room and they eat their food. How are you going to become a family like that? How can you become a family if God's people don't ever lift their eyes up and look and see there's other people eating? Wouldn't that be disrespectful if you invited somebody over to your house and they came in and took their food and went up in the room? And... But what happens every weekend at church? People come in, they take their food, and they leave. How can we become a family that way? To eat his food together at his table. That's how my generation gets separated from my grandparents' generation. And the grandparents' generation is the one that God called to help me and impart wisdom to me. That's why we bring DP kids even to worship. They have worship in their own room today, but many times they'll come in here. That's why DP students are in here, right? Because we've been on this task for the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years in ministry to create as many contextual ministries as we can. And we love contextual ministries. That's why we have student ministry. That's why we have children's ministry. But listen, if we don't get ingrained within the next generation a heart for the local church as a whole, we just contribute to the statistic that Barna says 75% of students, by the time they graduate high school, at the end of their first year of college, they've left the church never to return again. If I have a Martin guitar and I have one single fishing line and I tie it to that light bar, I could come in and cut that line and the guitar is going to fall and crash. And so many people, the only line they have to the church is their student ministry. The only line they have is the children's ministry and they graduate those and they've lost the church. That's what we can't be. We've got to get as many lines as we can going up to the church. We got to ingrain in our young people a love for the local church. Regardless of your context, regardless of your age, we need people who understand there are other people at the table that we're eating together with a glorious family that we can look up and realize we're all eating. And here's what's so amazing, folks. One of the things that happens when I look up and see there's other people, what soon happens in my life is that my perspective of God gets even bigger because I realize now he's talking to all of us at the exact same time. Sometimes we think that God's only speaking to us. He's speaking to King in a different way than he's speaking to Savannah in a different way to Dorothy. And when I look up and realize he's speaking all to everyone, all at the same time, my view of God gets larger. I realize, and he is a father. So please don't come to church and make it all about you. Lift up your head and celebrate who else is sitting at the table. Woo! What if we came in every week and celebrated everybody else? Wouldn't that be an amazing church? Wouldn't you love to be a part of that? People come in, they celebrate other people that are eating at the table. And we want to do all of this in the final part, and I close, in his presence. We want to do all of this in his presence. What does that mean? It means we've come together to worship. We've come together to worship. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I want to read this passage for you. Solomon's dedicating the temple, an amazing passage. And 
Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven, burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and his glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When we come together, church, and we begin our gatherings with singing, we are not singing songs just to sing songs. We are bowing low and we are lifting our hands and worshiping God at the revelation of his glorious presence. This is why we gather. If you like one-liners, ways to remember truths, let me give you a few thoughts. Because I think we've all been to a church where it didn't seem God's presence rested. There are numerous reasons for that. I'm not here to pontificate what those are. I want you to think about something. Trying to have church without God is like trying to build a car dealership and never sell cars. In other words, church can't just be another religious experience. It can't just be another time card to punch. It's not something you get credit for, by the way. Do you know that? God's not giving you perfect attendance or credit marks. Church isn't even about a message. It's not even about worship. You know what it's really about? It's about God. Now, the message preaches God, worship serves God, but it's about God. This was created to be a place where you can come into God's presence and not just hear someone talk about him or sing about him, but you can come into his presence and see him. Let me say it this way. A church without God's presence is not a temple. It's a museum. A church without God's presence is not a temple. It's a museum. Let me, let me take it a step further. A church without God's presence is not celebrating the living, breathing, active word of God. They're simply citing and retelling historical stories. And what God says is that this book is created to come alive in front of your eyes. The word of God is meant to come alive in front of you. When I'm in his presence, I can see him clearly. When I'm in his presence, I can hear him speak to me. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. I'm almost finished. He says these words as he finishes. He says, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Notice that. You go right into God's presence. It's not a rocket science to figure out that you're gonna hit bumps in life. There are gonna be surprises. There are gonna be pains and trials. You're gonna have some unpredictable days. But no matter what Monday through Saturday looks like, hear me, listen to the heart of your pastor right here. If you haven't heard me all day, whatever bumps you hit during your week, you know what my goal is when we come together? My goal is no matter how inconsistent your week was, no matter how crazy your week was, no matter how inconsistent or how unpredictable, I want you to be able to come here every weekend and you know what you're going to get. I'm not talking about what you're going to get in a predictable way, but you know that God's people are going to prepare, that we're going to come into a safe place, a place where you can worship, a place where you can hear God's word. You can have an inconsistent week and have the worst week ever, and yet we serve consistently. Our teams are giving gifting teams. We as pastors, we are leaders. Why? We are to serve consistently every week. There's no off weeks. Why? Because when you're inconsistent, when your week's inconsistent, you can come in and know what you're getting. We are consistent. We are serving. We're designed. People are, we're we're designed to be a church where people who are desperate to hear from God can hear from God. We're designed to be a church where people who need to see God's face can walk into his presence and see him face to face. We're designed to be a church where people who need the strength of the Lord to be theirs, they need to worship in the beauty of his holiness, can come in and immediately approach his throne of grace and worship. 
So we're eating his food together at his table in his presence, which leads me to the last thing I'll close with. What is our heart for the altar? I can't talk about gatherings without talking about the altar. Notice I did not say, what is our heart for altar ministry? I said, what's our heart for the altar? I wanna share with you what I think is dwelling place and God's heart for the altar. Can I give it to you? I wanna start off with James 5, 16. Notice what it says. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you'll be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Let me just tell you something. One of the ways I study scripture is I, is I read the truth and then I, I quote the converse. So I wanna give you the converse of James 5, 16. He says, confess your sins and pray for each other and you'll be healed. Let me give you another way to put that. Why does so many people get very nervous and uptight about coming forward for altar ministry, right? Because we do. The reason oftentimes we think people will be looking at us, right? And they'll think something's wrong with us. I believe the number one reason people don't come forward for altar ministry when God is leading them to come forward is public perception. It's public perception. We're afraid people are gonna think something's wrong with us. Let me make this really clear, ready? There is something wrong with you. And there's something wrong with me. No one's perfect. So that's why the altar's open for everyone. There is always going to be something wrong with you. <laughs> so let's make it easy. We're worried about people thinking something's wrong with us. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. And God is attempting to make it right. So the altar is not a place for perfection. Look at James 3, 16. Confess your sins and pray. Listen, listen. Another way to say that, you ready? Without confession and without prayer, we'll end up sitting in our seat waiting for the healing that God is begging us to receive here. I'm gonna say it again. That's the best thing I can give you right there. Without confession and without prayer, we sit in our seats begging for the healing and desiring and needing the healing that God is begging for us to receive through confession and prayer. This is how you are healed. The healing you need that comes through confession and prayer. But without confession and prayer, we're stuck in our seat. And we're stuck in unhealthiness. So altar's not a place for perfect people. If a church was a place for imperfect people, no one would be here this morning, right? It's not a place for messed up people to go. It's a place for all of us to run to. And perhaps my favorite verse in all of the Bible about altar ministry, Exodus chapter 20. Notice what the scripture says. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, what's he doing? He's, he's telling us about the altar. You saw for yourselves that I spoke to you from heaven. He says, remember, you must not make any idols of silver or gold to rival me. Paul's right there. Let me just say this in your notes. The opposite of an altar is an idol. The reason God hates idols so much is because they're opposite of altars. Let me say it another way. An altar is where we build something and kill it. An idol is where we exalt something in worship. An altar, all through scripture, is where something's built and something's killed. An idol is where something is exalted and worshiped. So when you hear me at the end of a service say, what needs to be killed in your life? The altar's open. It's because the altar's a place where something is killed. An idol is some, a place where something is worshiped, where something is exalted. So God says, don't build an idol. And he goes on in verse 24 and 25. Build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me. Catch this, Rachel. This is so powerful. Your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and goats, your cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered. And I will come to you and bless you. If you use stones to build my altar, listen to this. Use only natural uncut stones. Do not touch the stones with a toil. For that would make the altar unfit 
for holy use. Think about that for a moment. Use these rocks. If you're going to use rocks, if you're going to use them, don't make an iron tool. Don't take an iron tool and fashion them to make them look prettier. Don't take the rocks and make them look more presentable to me. I want natural, Jesus says, God says at the altar, I want natural uncut rocks at my altar. I don't want perfect looking rocks. I don't want rocks that think they got it all together. I want natural uncut rocks. Now, why in the earth would that be significant to our message today? Because if you tie this verse to the New Testament, 1 Peter 2 and 5 says what? What does it say in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5? You are living stones that God is building together. Oh God, I can't go to the altar because I need to fashion this rock before I go down there so people aren't repulsed. Let me tell you something. There has never been a moment in the history of your life where God is repulsed by your unnatural uh, un uncut stone. He's not uh, repulsed by your sin. He's just simply asking you to come to the altar and if you try to use a tool to fix it up before you get there, God says, I don't want it. He said, that's idolatry. I want you to be a natural uncut stone right where you are, just how you live. You don't have to get ready to come. You just come as you are. This is what he says. So the altar's not a place for perfection. No, no, no. The altar's a place for us to run to. It's a place of prayer and petitions. A place of prayer and petitions. It's a place for us to pray. When you come forward and connect your heart with another leader, come on, band. And you put your faith together. Jesus said in Matthew 18, I'm going to step in the midst of that. And what disturbs me, can you look right here a minute? Jesus said in Matthew 8, 18, when two are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, right? If you need to agree on one thing, he says it will be granted by my Father in heaven. So many times the enemy prevents the one plus one from ever happening. The one plus one. The me and my faith combining with the faith of another person to say, you know what, I need to pray for a brother that's lost. I need to pray for a marriage that needs healing. And when God says, you come together and you agree on that, then what I do is I get right in the midst of that. I'll do something about that. And the enemy wants to shame you into staying in your seat. So he pushes on you. Oh, he convinces you nothing will happen at the altar. Just stay in your seat. Why do we have worship at the end of a gathering? Because people who think that everybody's looking at them are not. They're worshiping. We're given a chance for us to worship and respond to his word. Genesis 2 and 7, I'll end here. I love this, 12, 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And we read, Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Listen to me. For far too long, we've seen the church as a place to receive when God created the church to be a place to respond. That's what an altar is. God speaks, I respond. God touches, I respond. And so many times you get to the end of the gathering and people come up to you and say, Pastor Craig, that was a great message. Pastor Chad, it was a great message. I appreciate that, but listen, can I be vulnerable one last time? When people say that was a great message, you know what my first thought is? I never say this and would never say it out loud. Lord, I pray that's not their only response. Because so many are content with saying that's a great message and they never do anything with it. I would much rather people say, oh, that was a terrible message, but go home and continue to respond the way God's asking you to respond. How can we respond? It doesn't mean I'm gonna read into your comments in the future. I'm just saying, is that as deep as we're gonna respond? I wanna end with this illustration. 
I read a book some time ago. Would you listen to this? It's so powerful. I read a book that a friend gave to me. It's called In the Sanctuary of Outcasts by Neil White. Neil White was a magazine publisher. He was very successful. Very successful. He didn't do anything major wrong, but he took money illegally. It was off of taxes. Now, again, I'm not saying he's like this major criminal, right? Because he goes and gets into a penitentiary. And he talks in this book about the, the sanctuary of outcasts in his time in a maximum security prison in Louisiana. This is the last remaining prison in the U.S. where one half of its inmates are dedicated to those with leprosy, Hansen's disease. And he talks about his time there. He said, one day I was in the center courtyard and I was eating. So I broke the law because you're not able to eat during worship. He said, I was sitting there one day and something very peculiar happened. I want to read it to you. He said, during a Wednesday night service in the Catholic church in the courtyard of the penitentiary, I noticed a new leprosy patient who sat in the pew. That wasn't unusual. People came with leprosy from all over for treatment here at this prison. The man could have been Asian or Indian. I couldn't quite tell. But he was performing a ritual I had never seen done before. I was in the back of the courtyard. He was up front in the courtyard. And he would put his Bible to his chin. And he would press it to his mouth like he was licking the pages. And when the man's face wasn't pressed against the the Bible, he stared up and he rocked back and forth. Then he grabbed the Bible and put it against his chin and looked as if he was licking the pages. During communion, I went forward and I got a closer look at what was happening. This man was not only a leper, he was blind. And like most victims of leprosy, his hands were numb from the disease and so Braille was of no use. He had found a new way. He was reading Braille in his Bible by his tongue. <laughs> Woo. I go back to how I started. What does this book do to you? Does it move you? Does it carry you away to God or carry you away with lawlessness? Because when you understand and start to understand the one who wrote this book really loves it, you all but lick it. You'll find yourself in the secret place licking the pages. You'll want to know it. And if that has no impact on you at all, then it's just another book. May we uphold the truth of God's word in our gatherings. May we respond to God as God has revealed himself to us. Amen. Would you stand with me all across this room? I want you to bow your heads if you stand with me. I want to pray for us. Again, thanks so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. God bless you.